Hi everyone, Dan here. And before we start the show, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the WMQ&A Patreon and what it can do for you. For example, did you know we have a monthly bonus podcast called Our Son Pete, in which a guest joins me to talk about a comic starring British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom? It's true. This month, Austin Gorton and I covered Excalibur number 99, and it was a blast. We talked about Onslaught, why smoking is bad, about how smoking in comics can be used to do cool things, proper posture for reading about Spanish torture in bed, and more. We also have Pete Wisdom stickers designed by Kevin Newburn that say hot claws on them and look great. But maybe that's not what you're looking for. Maybe you're an up-and-coming creator trying to get the word out about your Kickstarter, Zoop, webcomic, or independent book. We can only do so many hour-long interviews in a month. But for $25, we'll dedicate a 60-second spot to shouting out your project, guaranteeing you a few hundred extra earballs. Or maybe you want to advertise your mattress in a box or online therapy program or your pubic hair trimmer. For $50 a month, you can sponsor the show. Who wouldn't want to hear me read ad copy about custom-fit underpants or whatever? These are all options available to you, but only if you back us at patreon.com slash WMQComics. What are we going to do? Say no to your money? Actually, we will if you're a Nazi. But you're probably not. Right? WMQA! Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the mind behind Dark Horse's Flux House imprint and comics like Spy Superb, Mind Management Bootleg, Mr. Mammoth Hairball, and Berserker, Matt Kent. Welcome back, Matt. How's it going? Thanks for having me. I guess I didn't wear out my welcome. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> So, you and Kyle Starks have a YouTube show now where you play Fortnite <laughs> and talk about comics. Yeah. Uh, who is the better player, and can either of you take the average 13-year-old who probably spends too much time playing Fortnite? <laughs> yeah, so, so the first part of that question is a total trap, because Kyle monitors <laughs> every podcast I am a part of <laughs> to make sure <laughs> I don't Kyle? disparage his gameplay. <laughs> no, he... Well, here's what's funny, is we... Uh, uh, I don't know how much we want to talk about this. I'll talk about it all day. But he used to be on the Switch, the Nintendo Switch, and so he, mm-hmm. we would play on that. And then, and his internet is so bad, it's so laggy, and he's playing on the Switch, which the controls are not as good as PlayStation. And and uh, mm-hmm. he uh, and uh, maybe I said something controversial there. I don't know. I apologize if I did. <laughs> I don't, I'm not trying to be controversial with video games. But he uh, so he would always be lagging behind, and he, he so he's I'm better. But I don't know because until we're on the same system, he's on a PlayStation now, but his mm-hmm. Wi-Fi is still slower than mine. So I, sometimes I think the lag gets him. But uh, <laughs> so I, I can't decide. I, I'd say I'm better only because of the uh, hardware and, and uh, Wi-Fi that I have. <laughs> Technological but, uh, advantage. <laughs> yeah. No, we and as far as like getting killed by. Yeah. I mean, we get owned every day by uh, some 13 year old, you know, that that's uh got a horrible uh, screen name or they're anonymous usually they're anonymous 352 and it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> that's all right uh yeah now my uh so my son is 11 and uh, we yeah. haven't we haven't allowed him to play Fortnite yet but it's it's probably coming sooner rather than later he just joined an esports program yeah. at his school and so he's now, you know, trading to become a Smash Brothers master. What is uh, what is happening? Like when I was when I was in school, we had to hide <laughs> our comic books because they would confiscate our comic books. Now I go to the library and there's graphic novels in the library <laughs> and video games. 
those didn't, you know, we had uh, the Atari 2600, whatever that first one was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now oh, there's yeah. esports in schools. I love it. I love it. That's because those districts see those dollar signs. You know, they want they want to cut yeah. that team liquid money. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as far as libraries uh, pushing comic books on kids, God bless them. They're doing the work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I. It, it, what's funny is I went I went and talked to my old high school. I went and talked to all the kids all day about comics. Showed them what I did and talked about mm-hmm. how to make comics and career stuff. And uh, and it was in the library all day. And I was like, last time I was in this school. 33 years ago they my comics were confiscated you know like we had to trade them in secret you know between classes mm-hmm. and then uh and it was my ultimate revenge was to donate all of my books to this library and so now my books are in the library for the kids it felt felt sweet <laughs> that is that is good revenge now have you ever been playing Fortnite online and actively tried to and sell your books to other players. No, I play anonymously, and then okay. uh, my uh, yeah, I don't want. I have only like a handful of friends, people I know, and then uh, yeah, I don't. I don't want people to know who I am. I don't want them to know who they're killing <laughs> every time. That that's fair. Just also, just... I'm a I'm a very toxic player, so I don't want people to know how toxic I am online. <laughs> I'm. I'm 50% kidding. <laughs> I don't talk. I never talk to strangers on there, but my gameplay can be can be mean sometimes. Ah, <laughs> hmm. uh, it is Fortnite. That is, you know, when when in when in Rome or whatever they call <laughs> yeah. that island where y'all shoot each other. <laughs> so, a lot of what we're going to talk uh, about today is coming out through Flux House, which is your your imprinted dark horse which you launched last year. Uh, Dark Horse now has a lot of these sort of little houses now for creators. You know, I have to imagine that it's a lovely neighborhood. You're all just borrowing cups of sugar from each other. And by that, I mean letterers and editors. But my uh, my, my question is, you know, how much extra work is it for you as the person whose name is, is you know, on the tin there? Yeah, it's and I can't speak for anybody else. But uh, for me, my workload has gone up like 50 percent just because I'm and it, a lot of it was stuff I was kind of doing anyway like design of the books or cover design and that kind of thing. But I've taken more of a hand in like the marketing and the um, production and like working with printers. Um, I still like Dark Horse has a great print and production team. So I work through them, but we work together. So it's great. I It's like I, instead of doing it on my own, I have a team of people there that can help, you know, and we're figuring out, you know, what kind of, what other kinds of paper can we do? Can we do a cover that has fur on it? You know, can we, um, can we do, uh covers that have paper bags you know we uh all kinds of stuff that um they're helping me sort of figure out and navigate um but it it's definitely a lot more work just from because i'm 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 uh trying to control every part of it like if you if you see the thing in the book that's something i had i touched or had a hand on you know and um it's not dissimilar to uh mind management when that was coming out that i would just turn in that was a monthly book I was doing the lettering, coloring, uh, design. There's extra stuff in the back. There's fake ads on the back covers, inside covers. Every part of the comic had content. I was doing that every month. Um, and I really, I would just deliver a finished product to Dark Horse to send to the printer. Like I was doing the production and everything. So um, that was hard. It was just one book. And now I'm sort of juggling a few books at the same time. I'm not drawing them all. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's still a lot of work. 
but uh it's fun i i just i remember when i started the line i i sent an email to everybody i was working with the dark horse the whole team of people there and i was like if we uh let's not just i don't want to do things the same way we've always done it just because it's how we do it you know like all the way down the line from production to paper you know how uh, i don't want to just do what we do because that's how we we did the last one it looks like uh, come up with something new and if you're bored doing the thing the way we're doing it let's do it in a way where you're not bored let's do it in a way where everybody's a little nervous to see if it'll work you know or if, it, if it'll turn out right you know and 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 we may screw up but uh, that's part of the fun i think the longer i've been doing it the more i'm just i just want to uh like take some more risks try some different things try to make a book that stands out you know make make it there be a reason that this thing is still a print book in a world where everything is PDFs and on iPads, you know, and you're reading comics on your phone. So if we're doing a book, let's make sure there's a reason we're doing it that way. What, uh, what inspired the, uh, the name? Where, where, where did Flux House come from? Flux House was, uh, it's this art movement from the, like the fifties, six, probably early 40, late forties, fifties, sixties, uh, called the Flux, Fluxus movement. And it was like, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to draw a name. I'm terrible with names. Uh, but a bunch of artists like surrealists sort of started with surrealists. And, and then uh, Marcel Duchamp is one of the famous ones because mm -hmm. he did the he did the toilet that he submitted to the art show, you know, or the and then signed it. And then uh, but he did a bunch of other stuff too, other art. Um, and so he also built like uh, little replicas of all of his art pieces and put them and built a suitcase to put them all in so he could carry it around and show have like this portable version of his art and then he did uh he published books like with like sort of like uh i don't know just surreal sort of use of typography and art and image and everything and uh definitely like google them and a bunch of stuff will come up that you recognize but then a bunch of other stuff that um is inspiring to me too which is like different things with print media and the ways of publishing books and different things like that and and i think that that's really where the name comes from flux is and just uh i just debated the name for a long time and tried to come up with something i the the my name was always i was always using my name for the imprint at first and it just seemed like ugh, it just seemed like a vanity press or some kind of i hated having my name as any part of it and i wanted it to be something where uh it was everything was me but it, also not i'm collaborating with other artists too so mm -hmm. i'm trying to get other people involved and make it like a community of of creators and creative types that we're all kind of working together to make some fun weird books you know what's a what's a key thing that you've learned from the past year of running this imprint um uh that it's more work than i th thought it was going to be <laughs> <laughs> i think i think i thought i was just going to keep doing how i always did you know and then uh but it is, it is, uh, I'm just putting more care into like every part of it, like the inside back cover, like who cares about the inside back cover? Well, I do. <laughs> and I, I remember, I remember, uh, covers it, all, all the publishers, not just Star Wars, that they, they'd send a PDF with everything in it. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't like the designer part of me. I, I was a graphic designer for, uh, while I was trying to break into comics. So I'm sensitive to design all over the place and i would get pdfs of books i'm like boy that's the book looks good but then why is the back cover so bad or why is the <laughs> just little stuff 
nobody cares about me. Um, so now that I, I, uh, I have this, I'm, I'm caring about it all. You know, I'm like, do I have, uh, my thought process is, do I have time to, to design this inside back cover that no one is going to care about? And then as soon as I hesitate, I'm like, well, I need to do it now that it, now that the idea occurred to me that I need to do something special with this, I should do something special with it. So I just, uh, if it seems hard or like extra work and I'm uh, hesitating, then I just go ahead and do it because whatever, what are we, what, what else am I here for? <laughs> so I, I guess at this point, you know, let's, let's dive into individual projects. So we'll start with uh, spy superb, which is, is currently, ongoing uh matt would you mind reading the solicit blurb for this one uh Lazowitz. that's right i have to disambiguate there are two mats in the room <laughs> who's the perfect spy a spy who doesn't realize they're a spy this particular useful idiot is named jay jay is sent on missions without even realizing he's on a mission until he picks up the wrong phone with the wrong secret intel and now russian hit squads and elite assassins are after him but jay believes he was a sleeper agent and really is the spy superb. His complete obliviousness and lack of survival skills may be the only thing that saves him in this globetrotting espionage tale. For nothing is what it seems, but also kind of actually is what it seems. Uh, That's good. So, that was a good reading. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. So this one is three plus-sized comics. Uh, how did you come to decide on uh, that format? Um, I think I, I ended up just writing the whole thing first and seeing what it looked like, you know, and then, mm -hmm. uh, I was like, well, it's, this is about the size of it, but I, I like doing issues and serializing the thing. And then, um, there, there are three like distinct sort of main characters. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought, well, that's a good way to split it. And then three acts, you know, beginning, middle, end. And then, um, and then I figured all that out. And then as I'm drawing issue one, I got to the, I finished issue one. And uh, I was like, well, I really needs. I really want to do more. I want to do backup stories with certain characters because <laughs> there's story stuff that I didn't really get into the main narrative, but felt like it needed it. And then, uh, and then I had an idea to sort of use those eight page there's eight page backup stories as a way to sort of twist the narrative. So when you get to the third one, um, you're expecting something every issue has a backup story and you're like oh, okay i get it and then the third one is going to kind of throw you for a loop because you're expecting a thing and it gives you something else um like an extra little ending to it um so it's it's sort of evolved naturally but they it started out it was going to be like 120 pages uh uh 40 page issues and then now i think they're like 48 pages and uh i had to do a bunch of extra work but again it's like <laughs> i feel like if i have an idea if the idea occurs to me and then the lazy part of me is like, yeah, but that's how much extra work to do eight more pages when I was done per issue. Uh, but it's, I, my rule of thumb has always been if uh, just do it, you know, if, if I'm, if the idea occurs to me, then just do the idea. Um, and it came about when uh, I was younger and I was learning how to make comics, I would be inking, and then I would ink all the lines and then you go in and you sort of spot the blacks or you add blacks to get depth and everything to it. And uh, I found that I was, I was kind of lazy about inking. I'm like, ah, oh, that's that area kind of needs black, but does it, I, I could get along without that, that, that whole back alley or that wall having a big shadow with black on it. Um, 
And then I thought, I was like, well, I'm just, that's just late. That's a lazy thought process. I was like, I just don't feel like inking extra. I feel like I'm done. I did enough. I don't feel like inking extra. And uh, so then my rule, my little rule inside my head, every time I was inking, if it occurred to me, if I, if the thought popped into my head, oh, maybe, maybe that should be black or add shadows. I just did it automatically. And so I just made myself do it. So it was like my unconscious thought. As soon as I had it, then I just acted on it. And I feel like I do that now with story ideas. If there's an unconscious thought, there's a reason why that thought happened. And so I just do the thing, even though it's, uh, I might have to stay up later. Uh, we, we mentioned the, the paper bag covers for this one already, but uh, how difficult yeah. was it to make that a reality? Uh, it was hard, like, and we kind of had to simulate it. They didn't really have like the actual paper for paperback or for paper bags, so we simulated that with uh, a paper stock, and then we printed. I had to scan in the paper and then sort of fake the color and sort of fake it as much as we could, so it feels like it and it looks like it, but it's not it. But so it was kind of a hard thing to do, only to find out that uh, I share a studio with uh, my friend Brian Hurt. I've been friends with forever, artist on the sixth gun, and then my wife. Uh, Charlene, she's in the studio too, doing her thing. Only to find out, I was so excited when the covers came in. I was like, "Wow, this is like my favorite cover I've ever done." They're like, eh. "They hated it." <laughs> They're like, "Like, eh, we kind of like the other covers better." And I was like, "Yeah, but this cover is." They're like, "Yeah, but it doesn't." <laughs> and I was like, "I can't believe my I love this cover, and then nobody likes it." <laughs> and it made me. I was like, "Well, it's okay. It's." I was like, "It's an anti-cover." And like, and then uh, Brian joked, "I don't know why I'm telling you this stuff. It's it's all negative." <laughs> but, but he, Brian was like, "You, he, he's like, you like it because it only took you like 20 minutes to do it instead of having to draw a real." I was like, "No, but I did do a real cover. Like that's there's a cover inside the cover, so <laughs> it was extra. It was like 20 minutes extra." <laughs> and uh, but I I did I I uh, I'll defend those covers, and I know that they like I don't think. I think they're right in that visually they're not appealing. Like it's not, oh, I want to buy the original art for this cover that you did. I was like, that's the point of those is not that. The point of them is to disguise this comic on the shelf so it kind of looks like a piece of trash. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the downside is your cover looks like a piece of trash. Uh, but for me, the upside is like, what is? It's just weird. It stands out when you have a row of comics and that one's on there. It, oh, automatically, it's like, what is? What's going on? <laughs> What, what is this paper bag doing a few cop, uh, comics over from Hellboy? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, and then everybody's like, All right, is Trader Joe's let you get away with that? Or is Safeway going to be mad about that? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, That's, that might be a dark horse problem. <laughs> what is what is the most out there thing that you've done in comics where you're like, I, I can't believe I got, I got away with that one or that I got, you know, whatever publisher I was working with to, uh, you know, uh, green light it. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think, I will say the mind, I did a mind management book and record. It was like a read along record. And that was an idea that dark horse didn't want anything to do with <laughs> like, you know, you go ahead and do that. You're, we, we approve your, ability to just publish that on your own and do what I did as a Kickstarter ended up doing well. And uh but that's probably the weirdest thing that was a lot of work that was like a risky thing. Um and then uh 
but I, I, it's a, it was a dream project, something I wanted to do. I was like, I'll just do it on my own. I don't, I'll show everybody. <laughs> and uh, it did well. And then, uh, and the record, uh, it's, uh, it's, I'm one of the things I'm most proud of, but the record itself, when you play the record, plays the story, and then the story doesn't quite go with the comic. So when you're reading it, um, it starts out like it's reading it to you, like records I had as a kid, but then the audio sort of sort of diverges. So now it's telling you a different story to go with the pictures you're seeing. It's just totally different than what you're reading. What you're reading is a lie, and what the audio is is real, or one or the other. You have to decide. And then, uh, and then the record, if you play it backwards at the beginning and the end, has like a secret message on it, which is like a, it's like one of my things I've always wanted to do my whole life. You know, since I, since the White Album. Beatles White Album, and I was listening for something in it and couldn't really hear anything, but uh, I was like, I really want to do that. I, I do miss the days of analog media and, and you know, hidden messages and in, in records real and perceived. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it did give us a satanic panic, but still. Yeah, but <laughs> in, in, in hindsight, though, it's kind of fun <laughs> to look back at. Like, we lived through that. Yep. I always love the hidden track at the end of the CD where if you were just too lazy to get up and turn off the CD player, suddenly yeah. something else popped up. Yeah, well, I hated that. What, there was a couple where it would just be a noise and it would startle me. I can't remember which album. It was like a blaring sound. Oh, oh God. There were two. Uh, I think Beck's first two albums ended that way where it was just like two minutes of silence and then there'd just be these like yeah. mechanical, awful noises. <laughs> yeah. I don't need this at the end of Deborah. Yeah, I know. I was like, just end it. <laughs> uh, there were a couple of uh, audio uh, audiobooks that did that trick. Short story collections where there was a hidden story if you didn't turn off the CD. I was like, oh, that was fun. Yeah, that's great. I think Neil, that's Neil great. Gaiman reading one of his own stories if you didn't turn off the audiobook. It was like, yes. Mm. That, was, that was a fun one. But so, uh, Spy Superb, you're doing both story and art, and you, you talked about a little about you know your process. But I'm curious, what makes a book one that you know you have to draw yourself versus one where you're going to work with another artist like Hairball with Tyler Jenkins? Yeah, I think, um, I think at the stage I'm at now. Uh, if I'm working on the story, I sort of um, there's it takes me longer to draw a thing. So I've already like booked myself. I was like, I'm drawing this one. I'm drawing that one. And then that'll be the third one. And after that, I don't know for sure. Um, so then what happens is I have this these extra ideas that I want to do. And then a lot of times I'll just talk to the artist. Like I talked to Tyler. I was like, what do you want to do next? We've done Fear Case uh, and we really like doing uh horror he liked doing that and i was like okay maybe we can do another horror book and he wanted to do something with like um uh relationships and then i can't remember if he was the one that suggested something with a creepy cat i can't remember how that we'd have to i have to ask him i would have to have him on too but um something i think he gave me like some prompts writing prompts like cat family drama horror i was like hmm, okay and then i sort of wrote a thing for him you know and then uh and then um the same and then gosh there's a couple of, i don't know what we're gonna I, we have there's a couple we haven't announced but the way i do it now is i have i have a document that has like 10 ideas on it at a time you know like the my favorite ideas right now 
um, just little paragraph descriptions of everything. And then I'll show it, I'll send that to an artist um, that I'm working with, or we want to do a new thing. And I'm like, well, here's 10 things like what, what sounds good, you know, and then I'll write it to them or for them, you know? Um, and so that's kind of how I, I just pick what I want to do. I cherry pick what I want to do. And then, and then the rest, I sort of let artists pick from like the ones I have, you know, or we come up with something, you know, new depend if they want to, if they're in the mood to draw something else, you know, but uh, yeah, I think the only time I was going to draw something and didn't draw it was when, was ether at dark horse that david rubin um ended up drawing and that was the that was the thing where i was all set to draw it i'd done character sketches and everything and then um i'd been talking to him for a while and i was a huge fan and then he was able to he had a window where he could do something and i was like why well, don't I have we had to figure it out or i had to write something new or i was like or you could you could draw ether which i was like uh i i was bummed because there was so much fun stuff to draw in there but He's so good and like he was so perfect for that book that uh I gave just gave it to him because I I thought he would do a better job than he did. What are uh you know in the meantime you know when you're when you're working on your stuff you know you've also you're also working with your wife who's coloring uh you know what are what are some of the benefits of having those extra hands and extra eyes on your stories in in house? Oh man, it's good and bad. Like it's it's all good. Oh. Our process was I would draw, um, I would draw the book, and then I was I was penciling on the iPad, so I would draw on the iPad, and then, um, and it got to the point where I would, and then the way we work now is we kind of print those out and then paint and work on like I'll ink extra on the pages after we print them out, and then she'll she'll watercolor over the top of it. Uh, but before we do that, or I would do that, and she'd be like, "This hand's too big," or "That head's," or like, or she. The worst one would be she's like who's this supposed to be <laughs> I, go, oh, no. I was like okay okay I'll, I'll redraw that uh so it just got to the point where i hand her my ipad with all the pages on it and then i'd say uh, she would just go in with a red pen circle things circle a head <laughs> or circle a nose or like x out a hand that i drawn you know she'd go through and i would be in the other room i couldn't be in the same room while she's doing this because it hurts <laughs> my feelings and then but she would go through the, it was great. It was like having an art editor and she, we met in art school, so she knows what she's doing and I respect, respect it. And it's so great to have like a fresh set of eyes that knows what they're looking at. And she'd go through and just, uh, art edit my stuff. I, and it was, uh, br brutal, <laughs> but it made me better, you know? And then, so I'd go through and I'd fix everything and then, and then, uh, it would be great. <laughs> so that's what it's like. It's good and bad. I'm a sucker for wordplay, so I just have to say I love the use of the word legend in issue one, where it's the double meaning of both the myth of the, the spy superb and the fact that a spy's fake background is a legend. In this case, it's not so much the spy's fake background as the fake background of the spy grafted <laughs> onto the person. It's yeah delightful little word yeah play. oh man thank you so much i i have the yeah wordplay is where sometimes i get called out for dad jokes or whatever which i think are just clever i was like that's just clever wordplay no that's not a dad joke <laughs> <laughs> but uh sometimes i can i can stumble into dad jokes sometimes but uh no i had fun i had fun writing this one because i was able to write a character who who also says the most ridiculous things you know and sort of mixes things up which uh 
like I can't even like we have so many like family like inside jokes with like things we say that uh it was fun to just like sort of let loose and put a bunch of those into one book <laughs> our uh, grand twitter inquisitor inquisitor asimov fangirl asked uh spy and secret agencies seem to be a recurring theme in your stories and so she wanted to know you know what are what are some of the reasons for that or why are you attracted to that kind of story yeah i don't know i think uh i think early on um in my career when i was first starting in comics i wanted to do um i'd grown up reading superhero books right like we all did like whatever if you're at a certain age <laughs> that's all there was so i read marvel and dc books my whole life um as i got older by the time i aged into actually being able to do this for a living i didn't want to do superhero books because i thought well there's so many and like what am i going to do like what's going to be better than Dark Knight or Watchmen or Dare, you know, Frank Miller's Daredevil, like the stuff I grew up on. I was like, eh, I'm not, there's no way to sort of beat that stuff. And there's so much of it out there already um, that I thought, well, there's so many genres though. There's like fantasy, there's horror, there's science fiction, um, there's det crime, detective, and spies. And I think um, my first book, Pistol Whip, was like detectives. And then um, my second book, Two Sisters, was spy stuff had some pirates in there too and then uh and then i think it, there i thought uh i was like oh well spies is uh, i just sort of like stumbled into that genre as it was a fun one and i think only later did i realize well um uh superhero dna is in spy stuff because there's the hidden identity you know there's somebody trying to do good or 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 there, this battle between good and evil or whatever or like a um higher higher calling that these people are doing these things um you can have villains and and uh it's like automatic built-in drama because you have like somebody hiding a thing somebody trying to find out a thing you know and so i think uh like there's not there's not a big jump from superheroes to espionage and, and spies because of the all of those little elements they're all there it's just a little more grounded it looks a little different and i think that's that was the difficulty early on is like superhero stuff is so fun to look at and so fun to draw because it's so heightened and and there's costumes and color and and all this and i and it made it forced me to uh think of how how do i get that how do i make a spy story that's said world war ii or even present days spy, spy superb was an extra challenge because there's no um it's not a period piece right it's instead of modern day very very few books have i done um where there's like cell phones you know because i don't mm -hmm. cell phones is dumb to draw and, and uh i don't like drawing modern cars because modern cars are ugly to me and <laughs> and uh so this had all that stuff in there and i was like well how do i do then it's on me as an artist and to make that interesting somehow or to figure out a way to make it uh visually compelling and and i think that's harder to do when you set something in modern day or set it in real world with spot with just people walking around you know and uh and I think there's there's tricks to that. And I think the tricks are um, just like cutaway views and like hidden things and people in trunks and <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff that you can still draw. Um, but yeah, I think I think that happened to me with mind management also. I think I had a breakthrough on, when I was doing that series where I'm doing it's spies with mind powers, but uh, the mind powers are all like, how do you draw that? Like there's nothing... There's nothing really happening <laughs> you know it's all happening within your head or and then i realized well you don't have to 
you don't have to always draw the thing that's happening. You can draw the, the thing that people think is happening, or you can heighten that in different ways visually where you're um, not literally showing what's happening because that's, that's not the fun thing to draw or to look at. You know, we're, we're reading comic books, you know, I want to see cool stuff. I don't want to I'd read prose, you know, if I want to use my imagination, I just read prose. <laughs> so, so it's, it's kind of a, a magic thing you got to figure out in comics. And at, at the same time, it's, it's by superb. You're dealing with the inept spy, which is a fun trope. And of course, you know, it makes me think about Don Adams, both for get smart and inspector gadget. Yeah. But uh, you know, what are some other good examples of that either in fiction or real life? Cause I have to imagine you've, you've researched this at some point. Yeah, I didn't, you know, it's funny as I was telling my daughter this and uh, I won't remember the name of the movie she referenced because I hadn't seen it, but I was like, it immediately deflated me. <laughs> she's like, what's the new book? I was like, well, it's this guy, everything you just said. And she's like, oh, and it's a, uh, gosh, what is it? I think the guy, the Mr. Bean guy was in this movie, the spy Oh movie. God, Johnny English. Johnny English. Yeah. Oh my gosh. As soon as she said that, I was like, you are grounded. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is not that. This is so much smarter than that. And there's so much more to it. And there is, there's like a, and I haven't, still haven't seen that movie. I, I won't see it now because <laughs> she hurt my feelings so bad <laughs> referencing it. And, uh, but uh, there's like a, there's like an emotional gut punch to this, the end of Spy Superb. I won't spoil that. It's a, uh, I couldn't resist sort of <laughs> being a little cruel at the end. Um, uh, but yeah, so I haven't seen that. I, my reference my uh, reference point for this was um, this book Confederacy of Dunces oh, which yeah. I read a long time ago and it's like a it's supposed to be a literary masterpiece and everything I didn't honestly didn't care for it too much I read it because it sounded interesting and the character is interesting and the writing is interesting and uh, for to me it felt like reading a whole novel written in the style of like Chris Ware I don't know if you ever read Acme Novelty Library but he would always do those like fake ads and different anytime you had huge blocks of text you know mm. when you're reading all that it's it felt like that novel felt like i was reading uh chris ware's a whole novel of that chris ware style of writing you know <laughs> which is kind of crazy but uh anyway that whole book is the whole book is interesting and the story of its publication and stuff i won't get into but that that's interesting too but that main character is sort of this narcissistic know-it-all who's kind of a slob and and uh um i don't remember too much of the plot at all i just remember him being sort of this horrible irritating uh character <laughs> so i thought it would be fun to to write a character like that i've never written written a character that was um kind of unlikable you know and then uh sort of irritating and then uh and i didn't after writing the first issue i realized how much fun it was like <laughs> so fun writing somebody unlikable but then I started worrying because I uh, had given it to a few people to read. And they're like, I was like, do you, are you trying to make this character unlikable? Like, he's really unlikable. And I'm, I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of, that's the fun of it, right? <laughs> that started to make me paranoid. I was like, oh, I hope people like reading a whole book about a guy who's kind of unlikable. But I, he, maybe there's a little redemption for him. I don't know. I didn't want to follow that typical story too where it's like here's this unlikable character and he comes to this realization that he's unlikable and then he becomes likable so that arc does not happen <laughs> so if you're rooting for that that will not happen now at the same time you know you you've made jay the the spy superb this this useful idiot plant spy a wannabe writer 
this isn't you beating yourself up, is it? No, I, I, here's the thing. I will say that there's a little bit of every failed writer will recognize something in there and every writer uh, will recognize uh, aspects of that in there. So I, I think it's taking a little bit of my own, my worst parts of me or whatever, and then turning the volume up on them. And then just like, I mean, heck, just sitting at a, sit at a coffee shop and, and listen to people for a while, you're going to hear, <laughs> you're going to hear a lot of what uh, his conversations are. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think almost every creator has sort of they suffer from like imposter syndrome or you, you don't think it's like, oh, I'm doing this, but I don't really, you know, and I think uh, I think there's an opposite to that, which is somebody who thinks they deserve it and then and then they don't have it. <laughs> so you've also got uh, Hairball coming out April 5th, uh, as we mentioned with Tyler and Hillary Jenkins. Uh, this one is all cat content. So this is where I shut up and let my co-host take the wheel. (laughs) A young girl with a black cat begins to suspect the innocuous beast is behind all of her troubles. Her parents fighting, family plagues, and innumerable supernatural horrors. As she tries her best to rid herself of this creature, she discovers that maybe the cat is not evil after all, and a greater terror may be behind these horrific events harming her life. So what's the origin of this project? Where did Hairball evolve from? This, I think, was one of those things where I, I talked to Tyler, and I'll have to, to double-check with him. I Honestly, usually I remember kind of where story ideas come from, but I think we had talked about doing family drama, horror, and then... Uh, I can't remember if I came up with cats or he can't, he might've come up with cats. He might've sent me some drawings. I can't remember. I think it started with him just giving me some prompts. And then, um, and then I wrote this for him, you know, and then, uh, um, I came up with like the, a lot of the grocery stuff in there, the hairball and the coffee cup and the worms and everything. I, the, it was stuff I was writing that I, I think cause of his prompts, I was like, Oh, this is the direction it was, it pushed me. And then when I was writing it, it kind of grossed me out. I've never been grossed out writing my own stories before. And I was writing those scenes. It was like, I was, it was gross. When I was done, I felt a little dirty. (laughs) Your, your evil cat seems to fall into the, the horror of the everyday. One of those more insidious types of horror. Mm. Uh, there might be something otherworldly behind it, but the immediate source is something mundane versus something sort of unknowable, like the fear case, the eponymous fear case. Mm. Um, does that sort of horror of the everyday speak to you and your approach differently than you know the cosmic horror of something like the fear case or the human horror of people just being awful to each other yeah no i think uh even in fear case if you read the first three issues of fear case um actually i would make an argument that there's nothing supernatural at all in fear case i would say that that all is in your head um and you could read that either way but my intent was to write a thing where you could read it um a standard horror where all oh, this horrible thing and they open the case and something horrible happens uh, spoiler, slight spoiler for that one. Uh, <laughs> but also, you could, I would make the case that uh, that case does nothing. Like it's all inside, it's all human beings doing 
uh, bad things, <laughs> you know. Um, and I think uh, so. This one, I I approach in a similar way. I just like grounded stories. I'm not. I got to be honest. I'm not the biggest fan of horror as a genre because I don't like being grossed <clears throat> out. I don't want to be startled by things. You know, I went to one haunted house. I couldn't understand what was happening. I was like, I was getting startled every like ten seconds, and I didn't. <laughs> I was like, why do people like this? <laughs> I don't like jump scares. I've gotten really good in movies where I can predict a jump scare now. So if you get me, you you uh um you really got me because I I'm I can predict them. <laughs> but but uh so I don't like that either. Uh, but I do like a creeping dread and a and like that kind of thing, like un like things that are normal but just a little off. Um I was rewatching a David Lynch, I was rewatching uh um Gosh, what's the Mulholland Drive? I was rewatching that. Mm. Like, that's a horror. Those are horror movies. I didn't realize. Like David Lynch, I was I've been a fan of since Twin Peaks, and uh, and then I realized, well, he's you could put him in a horror genre, but I don't, I don't in my in my head just because I think there's so much else going on there, and I think uh, putting him in a horror genre is like kind of uh, I don't know, doesn't take in everything that there is there, even though there's like some of the creepiest, most horrible things I've ever seen in film or things he did, <laughs> you know, like there's nothing scarier to me still than uh, in Twin Peaks, Bob just at the end of the, of the bed looking at you and you don't really notice him right away. I was like, that's, that's horrible. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think uh, maybe I was, I'm trying to channel a little bit of that, I guess, where it's uh, horror in the mundane, horror in the everyday. Um the cat if you've ever had a cat i've had cats in my life and um they have an uncanny ability to do uh creepy things or weird things or um as a here's as a comic book artist they i would be i remember inking pages i had these two persians cats and i would ink pages and they would they would leave me alone all day until i was done inking a page that was still wet i'd set it to dry and they would find that page and lay on it their big long fur <laughs> and it's like what what are you doing why you haven't been around all day <laughs> now you're gonna find this wet page and lay on it um so, so i think they have an un, they have some uncanny abilities that, which we do not comprehend um but I, I love those cats i love cats i became uh allergic to cats as an adult mm. and so those those the last cats i had i I was allergic to. I had to keep them out of the bedroom and everything just because I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. But uh, um, that was kind of a bummer. But I've always loved cats, and cats are fun to draw. And uh, uh, but yeah, I think I wanted to keep this grounded um, until there's there's a thing at the end. Which again, I wanted to keep it. And I think you can make a case that there's nothing supernatural in this book, um, uh, or there is. I think you can make a case either way, but I like I like to keep it that way. I think I just need to have a I need to be able to explain it rationally uh, to myself. Like if I'm going to like the story, um, I want there to be two ways you can interpret it. Um, so this one has the same thing. I know issue one doesn't lend itself to you thinking that with the creepy little worms and the other things, but but uh, you can make a case for it. Yeah. Uh, our Bess, uh, our little Queen Bess, sleeps with her eyes open sometimes. Yeah. Not all the time. <laughs> Why? What Just is going on? sometimes. Yeah. And she'll be on my lap and her eyes will be wide open, but she's 
dark still. And I have to just look and make sure her chest is rising and falling because otherwise yeah. it is absolutely the most disquieting thing. I know. Or they'll stare at something. I was like, what are you staring at? There's mm-hmm. literally nothing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Earlier today, she was just standing on the couch <laughs> facing away from me and just mm-hmm. screaming. I was like, yeah. There is something that she can see that I can't, and she (laughs) is yowling at it. And it's like, you know, there for every horror story that is the cat is evil, there's also the flip side. Uh, There's a couple of uh, a Stephen King short story, a Neil Gaiman short story, where the cat is the defender of the people from some unknowable supernatural horror. And I'm like, are you defending me from something? No, you're just you're too dumb to defend me from something. You're just saying, "Hey, ghost, pet me." Uh, have you ha- ever had the the personal awful hairball experience? Because I'll tell you, I've slipped on them on hardwood floors oh, in the man. wee fall uh, in the wee small hardwood hours floors. of the morning. Yeah, here's two things one thing is like how did your cat find a hardwood floor because our cats would spin them up all the time and never on a hardwood floor where it's easy to wipe up it was always in the carpet or the rug <laughs> right next to the hardwood floor. i was like the hardwood floor is here and the rug's here how did you just why did you put it on the rug like why didn't you just put it where i could wipe it up or you have socks on and you step on one oh, that was the that's the worst that's and that's ruin your sock and then uh ugh, yeah <laughs> Brand, and it's always with brand new socks. It's like, come on, yeah. <laughs> just, no, just somebody I, just brought these I home, know. you little monster. We did, we did find a. I did find a. I re- found a trick out. Uh, as a, if you, because you can kind of see one coming. Sometimes they'd be like, uh, 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 make that. And then if you pick them up before they spit it out, they won't spit it out until you set them down. So I would. I learned to like pick, scoop them up and set them on the hardwood floor so they at least spit it out over there. Um, if you could get to him in time, <laughs> yeah, no, that's the, that's the trick because our that's bedroom a... has a hardwood floor. So when she's yeah. on the bed and she's making the sound, it's like, nope, down yep. you go. Okay, a cat, that's a cat hack for you. <laughs> that, yes, <laughs> can confirm. <laughs> um, so I mean, this is your your first real dip into horror in a while. Uh, was this a, again? I think you've sort of said it, but it was just sort of you and Tyler sort of brainstorming that there wasn't like the particular urge that now's the time to write a horror story. Yeah, no, I think we were kind of in the mood for it. And I've, I've been talking to Tyler for a while about, um, because we did, we've done a few things together and uh, I really wanted to, I like this idea of doing a book in every genre uh, with him. So we wanted to do, we did Grass Kings, which is, I don't know what that was. It's just like sort of fiction. And then we did, um black badge which is like kid adventure i guess or spot a little bit of spies in there and then uh what do we do after that <laughs> but fear case was a little bit of horror and so this is i feel like we're double dipping a little bit on horror uh but we we still need to do romance and we need to do a we- i guess uh, a western um and then i think there's one more genre and then science fiction we have to do so there's like three more we have to hit um, which we will, we have a romance idea that's sort of like a creepy, you could maybe put that in horror too, but it's probably a creepy romance, <laughs> if that's a thing. Uh, I guess it will be. Uh, yeah, we're going to hit, we'll hit every genre by the time we're done. Yeah, I, that you 
answered my next question because I was literally say, thinking like, have you reached the point of being Alexander the Great weeping for there are no more genres left to conquer? But <laughs> yeah, apparently there's, not. There's a genre, there's like sub-genres that we can get to too, uh, that we'll get to, you know? I don't know. <laughs> it's plenty. So you launched Flux House with a new volume of My Management and uh, each issue was drawn by a different artist. So uh, Farrell Dalrymple on issue one, Matt Lesniewski on issue two, David Rubin on issue three, Jill Thompson on issue four. Uh, what was the thinking behind that and how did that change the experience of making each issue for you? It was a uh, it was strange. Like part of it, like mind management is the thing I'm closest to uh, of all the things I've created. So handing it over to other people to draw was like uh, it's like having somebody watch your kid you know, for the first time, <laughs> that's kind of what it felt like. Um, so I feel like I was a little uh, more controlling. Like the scripts I wrote were very much more detailed. They're more like uh, than anything else I've ever done for anybody. Cause usually I, I'm a little more collaborative when it comes to um, working with artists and like back and forth. And then for, with my management, I, I've, I'm not that. I don't, and I think it's just because I have a very specific idea of what it is and how it should be. Um, so that was, that was a little different. I, I try to be easygoing, but, and well, great thing was every artist I worked with super great to work with and totally understanding. And like, I've worked with um, most of them before. And so they knew that this, I was acting a little different only because it's this different thing. And then we'll go back to normal <laughs> working together in the future. Um, but they did it great. And I thought, my thought too was like, I didn't ever want to do, when I was done with fine management, I didn't want to do anymore. I was like, that's it. I've done, we're not relaunching. I'm not going to reboot it. We're not going to, I don't, if I do it, I'm going to do like a book and record or we'll do a board game, you know, or we'll do Netflix is doing work on the TV show. I was like, we'll do, if I want to do more of that, we'll do it that way. And we'll do something weird that in that format, you know, but I don't want to do another like month to month comic with my management just to like keep it alive or to like whatever. But, um, I thought if we, if I did one where different artists are drawing it and then it seems almost like an unofficial sequel or like maybe I, maybe I wasn't fully approving all of this, you know, it was like a, like a weird thing. Um, then I felt like, well, that's okay. It's not really breaking my rule of like doing more of my management comics um, because I'm not, it's not, it's a different thing than what it was. Um, so I felt like that would, that would be fun. And then I felt like it was a good way to launch the line of books because it's titled people know, you know, I know that it's uh, mildly popular. So it would sell at least the first book we did would sell. Okay. You know, and then at least keep, introduce people to the, the line of books and then, and then, uh, and then get weirder from there. <laughs> That's how you get them. Uh, how, how did you go about uh, picking the artists? Um. I was a fan of Farrell forever and I've always wanted to do something with him and he's, he was available. He had a, uh, to do that. And um, so he was, he was our first get and I was excited just cause I was a fan of his. And then uh, Matt, we had done Crimson Flower together and I really, I love his stuff. He's one of those artists where he's a genius and I feel like he's not getting enough. People aren't talking about him enough and I think he's just kind of started too. So I think, um, and uh, people are going to really know his name, you know, in like 10, 15 years. Um, uh, 
probably hopefully shorter than that i i've I've, everything i'm about to tell you i told him to i was like look you're just getting started man they're gonna they're gonna find you um because this stuff is so weird like it doesn't look like anything else like the closest i can get is like he looks like r crumb with uh i don't know who richard corbin or somebody i don't know like he he's such a unique voice visual voice you know and then uh uh but i think uh people just haven't caught up to him yet and he's a lifer too he's one of those he's one of those kids that's going to be like doing this forever you know so you're gonna eventually you're gonna he's gonna be all over the place anyway huge fan of his i was like this is i want to do more with him and then uh and then david rubin i've worked with before i knew that he would just knock it out and then and then jill who her stuff's painted and takes longer and everything i we put her in the last issue because to give her the most time because <laughs> it was going to take her a while to do it. And, and, uh, and she's one, she was the one I was most nervous about only because I, I've been a fan of her since like Sandman when I was reading comics, not making comics. Mm-hmm. I was just like a fan of stuff and I've loved her since then. And then uh, it was weird working with her and having, giving her a script. And then my scripts, even I was like, Hey, I, whatever, I, I don't want to, I don't want to boss you around or whatever. If you have an idea, let me know that I was a little bit easier on her within the script because I was scared because <laughs> <laughs> she's a, she's a legend in the industry. I didn't want to make her bad, you know, but uh, she's wow. So great to work with and, and uh, did a great job. Uh, I got to talk to uh, Matt Lesniewski at New York comic-con this year and he was showing me pages from his issue of my management, but also, you know, obviously he had, you know, a bunch of his original art on the table and, uh, you know what you said about like you know sort of the crumb influence there you know definitely very 70s comics with an x and 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 yeah, yeah. I, I dig it yeah no he like i say our crumb and then well, i don't know what else and it's not even our crumb but it's like the maybe just the distorted figures and the thick i don't know he like i i think he's better than that <laughs> i think that's do, doing him a disservice even uh comparing him but uh Anyway, I think I think it's just all the line work and the hatching and the detail mm-hmm. he puts into it. But he's also super fast too. He works so quickly. Like I don't know how he does it. I think he's just like um, that's all he does. <laughs> there, there's an alley chase scene in issue two that yeah. I love, where it's like the the agents and they're just like wearing trash, but then all of a sudden yeah. you look at it and like the trash is made of the words that are describing what the pieces of trash. Are. It's just, yeah. Yeah. He made the, I wrote that and I was like, I don't know that no one's ever going to be able to. And then he made it better than I was picturing in my head. I couldn't believe what he did on that sequence. It's my favorite sequence in the whole series or that one. And then Farrell did a good one where it was like maybe 40 panels on a page where they're talking back and forth about uh, stuff. And it's just kind of a fun little questionnaire thing he did, but um, but yeah, both of those, so great yeah that stuff he did with the logos and the ra- the trash wrappers <laughs> was amazing now the issues also include scripts for pages that aren't actually in the book uh oh, yeah then I, put in, <laughs> then I put in parentheses or are they uh yeah. ha- have any of these artists actually drawn these insanely hyper paneled and feelings based pages for real and you're just hiding them somewhere <laughs> no no those artists never even saw those i did those i did those um <laughs> i did those later there's a um yeah that's that uh yeah i'm not gonna tell i'm gonna save some story i'm not gonna tell you the whole story of how those happened but <laughs> <laughs> this is i never showed the artists those i just thought they'd be kind of a fun thing to put in there um 
and I think, uh, gosh, I'm trying to, yeah, no, I'm not going to tell that story. <laughs> we'll let some things be secret, but just, just know that, 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 that was one of my favorite ideas. And it was like a last minute idea. That was like an emergency thing I had to do for some reason. I honestly can't even remember all the circumstances, but I had this idea last minute to do a thing. And I, it's, it's like one of my favorite, my management ideas ever, but it was like, it was such a like haphazard thing that wasn't planned at all. And then end up being my favorite part of the book. <laughs> that's, that's interesting because the one from the fourth issue had a, had a, you know, typos in it. And I'm like, all right, well, this is obviously intentional, but also was it? <laughs> yeah, it was. So issue one is the one that I, I kind of did under duress I'm trying to remember the full story now. I've forgotten it because it was sort of bad memory. Something happened, um, but uh, but then by issue four, I I was I was uh, I had figured out what to do with this idea. And then the fourth issue, actually, I wrote that. I typed it on real typewriter with uh, just paper in the typewriter, and I mm -hmm. I didn't write it out ahead of time. I thought about it. You know, I was like, okay, what am I going to write? And I just typed it live. I think I recorded it. I did a video or something too. I don't know if I posted that somewhere, but I typed it live and on those pieces of paper. Then I scanned in those pieces of paper, typos and everything, because I I wanted it to be the thing that I had done. And then, uh, and I think I, I signed those. My art dealer has them because I was like, this is the original art for these pages because it's it only exists there. There's no word document that I wrote and then typed mm -hmm. off of. It literally is the thing, and that's it. Um, but I don't. I don't know if those. I don't think those have sold. Who's going to buy that? But I like the idea of it. I I do like the idea of a Microsoft Word version of this, where Clippy pops up and says, "It looks like you're drafting comic book back matter. Would you like some help with that?" <laughs> yeah, no. To me, that's like the most anti uh, uh, AI written thing I could I could think of. Right? It's like let's just type it on a typewriter without even a computer involved. <laughs> Almost raw thing and then uh it's hard to type on a typewriter like i type really well on computer because it's just easy typewriter mm -hmm. you have to use like physical pressure to like make sure the keys imprint enough so it's actually it's totally different you know and i hadn't typed on an old typewriter in forever and um so that's why i blame the typos on that it's just it was kind of hard to do it <laughs> now did you did you have a typewriter lying around or did you have to like go to like a thrift store or find, I got, it and find one i got a special one i i uh my mom had this has like the small it's like a baby hermes typewriter it's like a they're kind of famous or whatever they're in the in talent mr ripley the movie they're in there and they're in the book too um so that's where i first kind of heard about them but my, my mom my mom had one i saw it over at her place and i was like hey can i borrow that because i wanted to take it to do um commissions at uh the next convention i was going to so i did like typewriter commissions where people come up and you tell me instead of doing like the drawings I normally do, uh, you'd be like, Oh, you want Spider-Man. Okay. So I would draw, I would type a paragraph of Spider-Man. Um, and it would just be like his inner monologue and something happening. It would just be like a paragraph about Spider-Man, you know, I type it up on special paper and then that would be it. I would just type it while you wait. Um, and then some pe people started asking for fun. Like I got, um, I think my favorite one was amazing fantasy 15, which is the first appearance of Spider-Man somebody wanted that cover recreation. I was like, okay. So I, I typed up, it was basically like a inner monologue of Peter Parker, everything he's thinking about while he's carrying the guy under one arm and he's swinging, but he's worried about, he's got to drop this guy off. 
and then uh but then get home because he's like paying his rent and everything like it was like this whole long thing and um anyway that's a long story for the fact that i borrowed this typewriter because it was so portable from my mom and it's such a cool looking typewriter that um i was like i need one of these and she was nervous about me wrecking it so i bought i bought my own little um one that come in different colors too so they're super cool <laughs> but uh anyway i bought one and so that's the typewriter i end up using for my management this is all happening around the same time and uh i think i was doing that which gave me the idea to type up a uh, script on it you know but uh never again too hard you saw the typos <laughs> makes, <laughs> makes me look uh dumb it makes me look like the the true speller that i am which is a terrible speller <laughs> <laughs> so how close are those pages to your actual scripting style um they're close i mean it's no those are not i mean i there's so much more description especially like the earlier ones uh i tried to write script for something that would be impossible to illustrate you know like i think the one page had like 20 panels on it and they're all super elaborate and uh so it's it's the same style it's just i put i put way more detail than I normally would just because I thought it'd be hilarious. <laughs> so just on the whole, you know, what does it mean to you that this is a concept that you can keep mining for stories and at the same time, something the readers that will support you when you do? Yeah, no, it's great. And uh, I, especially when I was just finished mind management, I'd been working on it so long that uh, every idea I had, every, like, I'm always thinking of story ideas. Every idea I had was a mind man, ended up being a mind management story idea i was like well i can't like eventually i need to start i need to do other stories <laughs> but my brain was so like tracked into that idea and those like concepts and that world um it was hard to like sort of break out of it um so i think that was kind of difficult right afterwards to do that um but then the more space i got the more i was able to to take kernels of ideas that would have been my management stories and and turn them into um their own kind of story um but then the it sort of circled around i think by the time i did uh bang um there's a character in bang that was a character side a background character in mind management who ended up being like it was the main villain in an older book i did called revolver for vertigo mm -hmm. and so that this recurring sort of villain character um was somebody i started having fun with popping into different books um just as like a way to tie it all together um, and then I realized, well, everything's everything I do is mind management. You know, everything's in the same universe <laughs> or like a or there's at least a character that can jump between universes to sort of tie them all together. Um, and I just sort of like came to grips with the fact that it's all it's all one big thing. Like everything I do is one big thing, you know, split into different books so that uh, uh, I don't get sued if Netflix buys one thing. You know, <laughs> I can still have this other book that they don't own, but it's all <laughs> one big story. So uh, we've got, there's one more Flux House book in the mix that I just wanted to shout out quickly, which is uh, Mr. Mammoth with artist yeah. uh, Jean-Denis uh, Pendant. Pendant. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, out March 29th. Uh, this one is an OGN, uh, you know, compared to the, with the others that were monthlies. Uh, you know, why, why did you decide, decide to go graphic novel with this one? He, this one came about, uh, I have a great editor, um, Elaine David in uh, France, who they they buy and translate all of my books. So they've done almost everything I've done. They've 
published in French. Um, and so I've been working with him for years, ever since Two Sisters came out. You know, he's just been like a huge champion of mine over there um, and had me out a few times. And it's just been amazing. They've treated me so well. Um, uh, and I just reached out to him. And I because I think the last time I was in France, I was looking at all these books and like the, you go to a comic store in France, it's like hardcover albums full of all this amazing painted art. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like on another level, like the the art over there and so many artists artists that we i was like these these would be like top three artists in the country here you know i'm like why we i've never even heard of this person why have i not why do i not know these people (laughs) and so i reached out to him and i was like can you introduce me to you know and i gave him a few names these are people i love i love this like is anybody would they be willing to work with an american on a dumb american story (laughs) you know (laughs) and then uh and uh and so he introduced me to Jean Denis and um who's like my stuff, you know, and I was like, Good, I love I love your stuff. So um is this something we could do together? And and I I did this, I gave him like a little list of ideas. I was like, here's different ones I have. Um, is this something that interests you? You know, and he picked Mr. Mammoth and um and so I, I wrote it for him. And then we that Mr. Mammoth was published in France. Um like a year and a half ago, I think. Oh, wow, and okay. They released it as two, uh, like forty-page hardcover albums, you know, um, like a few months apart, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, with the idea. And the deal was, it's like you can work with this amazing artist, but um, it has to be published in French first, and then you can publish it in America in English. And so that was the deal I made with the not a devil, but, <laughs> but with France. <laughs> um to to just get to work with this amazing artist and so yeah it, the book's done has been done uh it's just never been in english before and so we just had it relettered in english and uh um first time i've ever had a book come out in french first then english uh which is i mean i wrote it all in english and they had to translate it and mm-hmm. then we had to translate it back <laughs> and, and uh but no and that's uh, it seems silly to to release it like serialize it or anything i just wanted to have it in one big book and and I know like the comic book market is so it's it's financially it's probably better to release things as issues first and then put a trade together. But uh, for this one, it was done. I think we just do a nice big hardcover that looks great. Uh, people will find it. And uh, mm-hmm. his art's great. He's like a to me, he's like a 21st century Will Eisner, the way he like draws and paints. And uh, he sent me a couple pages of his art. They're on these giant, giant pieces of paper like he works old school like like if you see will eisner's um the artist editions those big hardcovers where sure. it shows it's like that size like he, that's the size he's working at so these this is like a it was just amazing I, i'm working with like a legend <laughs> and now outside of flux house uh if you know, solicitations and such are to be believed uh the couple days after this episode drops uh we should be seeing the final issue of berserker the book yeah. you were working on with uh Ken reeves and ron garney uh last time you were on the show that book was just about to launch yeah. and now here you are yeah we finished it wow are just <laughs> like... about to end we, we love a good it's it's, it's, it's been a bit um, it's, I mean, you were you're talking about there you know how it started out. how has the whole experience of working on that been has it continue i mean it launched with such 
you know, trumpets. How has it been as the whole project has developed over the course of the book? It's been great. I, I'll say I spent um, probably more time writing that book than any other book I've I've written, you know, and I, and it, you would think, oh, we're collaborating, so it should be. But it but part of it was just like scheduling. Keon is so busy. So it's like he and he wanted to be involved in every on every page and every panel and every line of dialogue we collaborated on. So um, it really was just a matter of like finding time where we could sit down and like work on the thing together and, and get it done. And um, it was neat because like it took us probably three years to from starting to finish to write the thing. And uh, and like we were we we're just like different people, but from the beginning to the end, like like the all the major plot points are there. But like over the course of those three years, like we've had ideas and things have evolved and and we sort of um, it was kind of fun to to do that work to get to feel like we're getting older as we're doing making the thing you know and and um and then him being sort of new to the comic book format you know just like writing four comics at the beginning and by the end we're like it's just like we're finally tuned machine like we should just do another you know let's do another thing because now now like we have it down we have the whole the whole the process down and and he's uh we're going over panels and pages and and uh he's it's just great to hear him talking about page turns and and uh whatever it's just like it was great it was so great but uh yeah it was good it was it was a big project and uh i'm happy people like it i hope think they'll like the ending it was one of those things where you know he uh i don't read reviews anymore you know i i sometimes i'll read reviews or i'll seek them out if i'm wondering if a thing landed like like because a lot of my the stuff in my creator own is like there's like sneaky little things I hide in there or subtle stuff that I'm like, oh, is anybody even going to get this? So I'll, I'll peek at it just to see if it, anything landed or if people missed it altogether. And uh, he would read all the all the reviews and they'd read them to me. And I'm and I'm like, stop. I was like, don't, don't read those. I mean, <laughs> I was like, like uh, and he would read. He wouldn't read just good one. He'd read like the ones where they're like, I was like, don't is there you're they're critiquing like they're critiquing like issue four the end of issue four or something i was like that's like critiquing like the first 20 minutes of a movie or the middle 10 minutes of the of the movie i was like it doesn't that doesn't matter like we we know where we're going we know what we're getting we're get, getting to you know it's like let's just we have to have faith in the process and uh and so i i uh i it renewed my faith and not reading reviews <laughs> don't read reviews just uh stick to your gun trust the process you know now i have this whole image of my head of, of keanu you know he's sitting down to breakfast and and you know first thing after he gets his coffee you know open up variety and then go on cbr <laughs> yeah no i he, here's what's great it's like to me the uh he cares you know it's like he 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 wants people to like it and i want like we all do you know and um and i i know that uh we just put our heart into it so it's if you don't like it it's not because we didn't try <laughs> we tried real hard and uh and then and i think at the end of the day is it was a thing where we wanted to tell a certain kind of story and tell it a certain way and end it in the way we ended it um and you just hope people like it and it's you know and some people expect a certain thing and then we don't give it um, but it's because 
we can't control what people expect you know we can mm -hmm. just um control what we what we want to do and hope people uh think it's fun <laughs> now one more fun thing before we wrap up here uh you know we've covered so much ground already but uh you know, we, sh we should know, you know, you are still producing comics for Bad Idea uh, yeah. as well, in addition to all of this. So, you know, I'm curious because, you know, Bad Idea has been around for like about two years now. Uh, you know, what is something that appeals to you about making comics that are sort of marketed for their, partially for their exclusivity, meaning, you know, fewer people may read them, you know, almost like uh, that Martin Shkreli Wu-Tang album? <laughs> yeah, no, I... It's interesting to me. I love I'm I get along with Dinesh so well, and I think it's because our instincts to do um, sort of crazy out of the box things are mm -hmm. similar. I know it, at, when we were at Valiant, I would pitch him ideas, and he'd be like, "Yeah, let's do that." And then the then the grown ups in the room would be like, "We can't do that," <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, "Yeah, but Dinesh, can't we? Let's do it." And then and then you know sometimes we couldn't, sometimes we couldn't. So bad idea is like. Is like us sort of conspiring, like let's do the, and no one's saying no anymore, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is good. It's also as soon as somebody approves the thing, then I'm like, well, maybe we should, well, maybe we should think about that. <laughs> you know, like, uh, so I, I, he, and here's, here's my take on that. And, and, and I honestly I don't follow it all. I'm not involved in all of the marketing and the PR and all the stuff they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, some of it I find out about after it's out already or somebody's tweeting me something weird. And I'm like, what's going on? What's going on here? <laughs> um uh but i i what i like is that they they're creating excitement you know and i really appreciate the fans that are um following doing the thing jumping through hoops whatever they're doing crazy stuff because it's like they're excited about the books and and uh i think that's fun and that's kind of what i miss about comics is like that excitement every wednesday about like it's like oh i can't wait you gotta go in there and get it and what, whatever i like that about it uh and i do think like um unlike the Wu-Tang album, like the, like these books are rare, hard to find now. I think this is like, uh, it's almost like Kickstarter where like when people kickstart a thing, you're getting in then, um, you're getting in early so that you can maybe get an extra thing or a deluxe thing or thing you're not gonna be able to get elsewhere, like a variant cover or rare version of it or whatever. So I think this has been a multi-year run with Bad Idea where that's what this is, you know, and the stuff, all of these things are, uh, and don't like, uh, like I'm not involved in the decision making, but eventually the stuff will be put into books where people will be able to get them eventually. Um, like as a creator, like that's the most important thing is like, you got to reach readers if you're not reading, reaching on them, why are you doing it? Um, but I think this is like the fun um, runway to have all this stuff sort of come out. And then eventually um, the people that are, old like me and too tired to go like chasing down stuff and i was like i just want it can you just mail it to me <laughs> or i don't <laughs> i'm too lazy to go to the store anymore like i, I don't even want to go out so um eventually those people will get it too and it's and, uh i don't know i think <laughs> excellent well uh penultimate question what are you reading right now what am i reading right now i just picked up uh this reprint of oh my gosh what's his name uh black phoenix do, do you know this book? Uh, I can't, I'm going to blank on his name for a second. Uh, gosh, he did a, he also did a book, Spy Seal. He also did a book. Oh, um, oh, 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 gosh. Uh, oh, 
Oh, yes, now the right? name's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. I'm gonna look it up. I'm on the internet here, so I can yeah, look we're it all, up. we're all we all got the googlies. Right, um, Rich Tommaso. Rick, yes. Yeah. Spies. So I'm. I just ordered the like flying cloud as as a publisher. I just ordered direct from them. They did like a super deluxe hardcover collection of all this Black Phoenix comic he did, which I somehow I missed. I didn't know anything about it. Um, but uh, another guy was telling me about this thing, and he does like fake cads, and and it's almost like a it reads like a uh, anthology, but one person doing it. So he's just switching styles and storytelling and genre every issue. Um, and that's all put together. I highly recommend it. I haven't even read it yet. <laughs> I've read like the first like 10 pages. It's pretty thick. And I've looked through the whole thing, but it was so inspiring just to flip through this thing and to see the different styles he's using and the color and the design. Um, I can't say enough. I can't tell you how pumped I am to like make comics after getting a book like that. I'm like, man, this guy, he's doing like, he's doing what I want to do or books like I want to see. You know, and it's it's just uh, making me want to do more. Um, so that's that's probably the most recent thing I've read <laughs> or started reading. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Matt, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you back into the world. How can people follow you online and keep up with everything Flux House is putting out and everything else that you're working on? Oh, yeah. You can, the easiest way is go to mattkint.com. Everything, all my social media links are there. I put out, you can sign up for my newsletter. I do every two weeks. Um, just talk about stuff. And then uh, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Matt Kent. And then uh, I think my Instagram is Matt Kent for real because I forgot my password. So I had to start a new one <laughs> it's called Matt Kent for real. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find me. I'll be around. Right on. Well, Matt, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it, guys. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shout-outs on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claw sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in the 60-second spot. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Kat Purcell, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from ComicsXF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Azabaw Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.